Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. In just a moment, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, will join me. We will break down Florida's first round NCAA tournament matchup in the South Regional against the 10-seed Virginia Tech Hokies out of the ACC. We'll talk about why Mike Young's squad might be a little bit ahead of schedule in his project to rebuild that program after the departure of uh, Buzz Williams and that Sweet 16 team that that nearly beat Duke with Kerry Blackshear a couple years ago. Hokies back into the tournament a little bit ahead of schedule. We'll talk about what makes them such a tough basketball team and why Gators could have their hands full, especially on the defensive side of the basketball uh, court on Friday afternoon. This and much more. If you enjoy the show, make sure you pop over to uh, Apple Podcasts, give us a rating, write a review. Give us a heart on Spotify. Any of these things help us get advertising, help us to keep the show going. For all of you, our listeners, which is why we do this, thanks for listening, and we hope to be back with yet another game in this season over the weekend. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, and this is our round of 64 NCAA tournament preview, where you'll talk, of course, mostly about the Gators' first-round matchup against Virginia Tech, also dive into the bracket towards the end of the show, uh, you know, because I know all of you listen to hear our takes on on other games that aren't the Florida-Virginia Tech game. No, we'll get right into uh, – the Gators and the Hokies and a Mike Young team uh, at Virginia Tech um, that runs a lot of good stuff on offense. Yeah, I truly am, have just been watching. I've been watching a lot of them the last couple uh, couple days ever since uh, ever since honestly the the matchup was called between Florida and and, uh, and Virginia Tech. I mean, the, the first thing I did was was go to Synergy and start watching some of the half court possessions. And and man, I just I truly am in awe of of Mike Young's offense. I think it is just absolutely beautiful. It is diverse. It is complex. Um, it's as good as anything I've seen from anyone in the country. Just truly, just to see uh, the complexity of their their actions and 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 the layers to their actions. It just it just never seems like like when they run a ball screen, it's not just a ball screen to maybe hit the roller or get their ball handler all the way all the way to the rim. It's it's a ball screen that's a false action into a back screen for for someone else, or it's a false action to hit a, a screen the screener flare for a for a three. It's just. Uh, everything they do is multifaceted, and I think that that's something that just uh, became very, very apparent watching them. Yeah, I mean, Mike Young obviously has a has a pretty darn good uh, track record as an offensive coach. I think most people remember uh, the NCAA tournament team that, that maybe got him. I mean, he was at uh, Wofford forever and really built the program from the ground up uh, and then left after a 30-5 and five season where uh, – you know, I think a lot of people that love the NCAA tournament remember Fletcher McGee and the stuff that they ran to get him open. Yeah, it was it was great stuff, and it's it's pretty interesting because, of course, Fletcher McGee, who had just kind of a ridiculous uh, year, he kind of flamed out and, and shot really poorly in uh, in that NCAA, in that last NCAA tournament game. And and again, you know, I'll be honest, uh, when they hired him, I, I kind of thought, you know, like like you'd said, he'd been at Wofford forever, he had gotten them to a couple NCAA tournaments, but but really, I mean. I don't want to say he had one good year and then Virginia Tech hired him, but like, you know, he 
<laughs> that was the first time he had a team advance past the first round, and it wasn't mm-hmm. like he was bringing Wofford to the tournaments every single year. So um, I, 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 I kind of thought it was a bold hire, but but I mean, man, like you can look at uh, you can look at uh, you know where his teams, where his Wofford teams got, like wh- where they finished in conference. I mean, and, and they were, they were good, but, but not great. It wasn't like they had just completely dominated their conference or anything like that. But man, if you just look at the stuff he runs, you look at his X's and O's and you, you look at his playbook. Uh, he is, he's, he's fantastic. And I do think that, uh, um, I, I do think that Virginia tech made a, made a good hire here. And, uh, Something that's something that I'll probably uh, we'll probably have to talk to talk about in the off season a little bit more. But I do think as uh, as transfers increase, I, I, I think that um, you're really going to start to see who can coach and who can't because I do think that talent is about to be a lot more evenly spread throughout these high major leagues, and and it's going to be all up to, to who can coach and man, uh, Mike Young can really coach. And uh, I I just I, I had to look. I couldn't remember exactly how bad Fletcher McGee shot. Maybe you remembered this, Neil, but I just <laughs> looked it up as I was talking. And yeah, when they lost to Kentucky, he was 0 for 12 from the three-point line. So just tough from a guy who shot the ball really well. But yeah, Fletcher McGee 0 for 12 uh, to lose out in the NCAA tournament. And that game was close with Kentucky. So if even he uh, hit a couple of them, they could, Wofford could have been an even bigger story. Yeah, and I think, as I recall um, from that game, it was it was definitely one of these deals where the broadcasters, Eric, kept saying, Oh, uh, he's not going to miss these forever. Like he's not going to miss these forever. And like, I don't even know if he was necessarily bothered by Kentucky's length, although you know everybody is to some extent, um, or just had a bad night. But yeah, I mean that was a game where they scored forty six points after being one of the most efficient offensive teams in the country uh, all season. And that was, in fact, as you as you pointed out. Uh, the one time that he won an NCAA tournament game, he's one in five uh, as a head coach in the NCAA tournament. But when you coach at a school like Wofford, you'll get a crooked number like that sometimes because uh, that's how you're seeded. And and it's a testament to how good that Wofford team was that they were actually a seven seed, Eric. So, you know, uh, I think, you know, uh, certainly earned it there, but was given a lot of time at Wofford, like earned a lot of goodwill from the, the NCAA tournament appearances in the early or the late aughts. And early 2010s, they had some struggle bus seasons, and then uh, he leaves on a really high note. One thing I'll say is that for all the good stuff they run, and I'm not, uh, you know, knocking them in in any capacity, really. I'm just – it is interesting that they're not, you know – you'd think when you run that good of offense, you'd be really, really efficient, and, and that's not necessarily them. It's not an LSU type situation. Well, it, it's kind of interesting. And again, the, things have kind of been thrown a little bit in terms of these advanced, some of these advanced metrics. And it's kind of weird because, of course, like when people start citing Ken Palm rankings, they mm-hmm. they still kind of, you know, treat them as as relative fact, though. I mean, there's obviously a few outliers such as Loyal Chicago's like the ninth best team in Ken Palm right now. <laughs> I don't I don't think anyone thinks they're the ninth best team in the country. And Wisconsin is 10th in Ken Palm. I don't think anyone thinks Wisconsin's the 10th best. I mean, maybe someone's out there. Um, but but yeah, there's there's just there's a couple things that are a little bit wonky about about just some of these metrics this year. And, and yeah, like Virginia Tech, if you look at them, um, they're 55th in the country in, in offense efficiency in Ken Palm. So that's not not great. I, I mean, it's it's pretty mediocre as far as um, as far as high major teams go. But when you actually again, so so it's kind of funny. So often people are citing like raw numbers and I'm like, let's not look at raw numbers. Let's look at advanced numbers. Let's look at adjusted numbers. But with Virginia Tech, I mean, you can look at their 
uh, advanced numbers, their adjusted numbers, and they don't look awesome. But if you look at their raw numbers, a lot of their raw numbers are, are really, really good. Looking at a lot of their, their raw statistical profiles, um, yeah, their, their offense is, is, is very, very good, particularly in the half court. Um, they're one of the best half court efficient in terms of, in terms of efficiency in, in, in the country and, um, transition. They're just okay, but they're, they're awesome in half court offense. So, so it's, it's, again, it's like, it's a little bit of like, I, I do wonder if just for whatever reason, the way that the algorithms shake up, if, if, if it's not giving Virginia tech enough credit, because I watch them with my eyes, I think they're just fantastic. Um, I, I look at their raw numbers that aren't adjusted for, for quality competition, but the raw numbers are really good. But then, yeah, it's just uh, when adjusted for an ACC that I guess wasn't very good this year, it just doesn't look great. But um, uh, and, and again, I think the other thing that you could say, too, is like I think they run beautiful offense, but they don't actually have beautiful offensive players. Uh, they've got a lot of guys that are just kind of dogs. Like they play, they play hard, they play tough, they play intelligent, but it, they don't have a lot of high end talent. They don't have fantastic shot making they've got a couple guys who can make shots but not uh usually with their feet set so so that's another thing about uh, about their offense is it's and, and, and i mean it's one of the things i love because it's something that's just great when you take five guys that aren't great individually but they play so well together that they end up running just beautiful offense that, that that's awesome but uh it is uh, uh maybe the fact that they don't have these like really awesome numbers uh, does show that their ceiling might be a little bit limited, no matter how beautiful of stuff they run, just because they don't have, you know, uh, fantastic go-to scores. Yeah. I mean, what would you consider, um, you know, who would you consider their, their go-to score? I mean, do you think it's a guy like Justin Mutz who's really, really good at attacking the basket uh, and, and drawing contact and a pretty good finisher? Uh, I wouldn't say, you know, a great finisher, but certainly pretty good or, or do you think it's it's one of the guards, whether it's the much maligned, should he be on the team or shouldn't he be on the team, uh, Tyrese Radford or or someone else? Yeah, Tyrese Radford. You might have to uh, get into that, Neil, or maybe maybe you don't want to, but uh, yeah, Tyrese Radford. Um, I, I do think it's kind of him. It's it's kind of interesting because Kevin Aluma is there. They're quite clearly their their best score by the numbers. I mean, he averages sixteen points a game, and and Radford's at twelve. Um, but but again, some some of the stuff is just like pretty weird because again you'd look at aluma who's clearly has the most points and you think oh maybe that's a guy they feature i i I don't think they like feature him a ton like it's kind of like when like keontae johnson last year was you know leading florida and scoring for much of it but it's not like you watch the gators and said oh look at them running all these plays for keontae johnson i kind of have a little bit of that feel about about kevin aluma um and then also i mean uh wabas abide who just uh scores four points a game um in, in like 26 minutes per game he is not much of a score but he's kind of like your consummate like like he's like one of those point guards in like the 80s who like truly was like never going to take shots but always had the ball in his hands initiating so i mean he's not again a go-to guy but he's gonna have the ball in his hands a lot uh but really really neil i mean you'd look at the numbers and say aluma but i think watching them it's uh it's radford who's kind of the guy they're they're looking to feature yeah i i think so too and and um you know much ado was made in ACC land about Tyrese Radford and, and the fact that, uh, you know, he uh, was arrested on misdemeanor and felony charges uh, in the middle of the season, essentially. And, and they went through a process and he missed a few games. Uh, they went three and one in those games so they could win without him. It wasn't a, a situation where uh, they, you know, the bulk of their handful of losses were when he was gone. They only lost one of the games that, that he missed, Eric. But uh, then he was reinstated, and Mike Young was fairly unapologetic about it. Uh, 
uh, just said, hey, we have a process that we go through and uh, everything that we needed to do to get him back on the floor, uh, we did. And he came back and they promptly got blown out by uh, Georgia Tech upon his return. Now, to be fair um, to uh, Virginia Tech in, in, in terms of, you know, what happened in that game, uh, that was coming off a, a pretty, you know, a 14, 16 day COVID pause. Uh, so, you know, they were a team that had this long COVID pause uh, and then went one and two after the COVID pause. Uh, they haven't had three like Florida, but they have been yet another team that's had a long one. And they also had a game against Florida State canceled earlier in the season. Uh, that would have been another quad one win opportunity uh, that was canceled because the Seminoles were on COVID pause. Yeah, like they've really had a weird season, like, or I, I don't know. I don't know if weird is the way you want to classify the Tyrese Radford situation, but it's certainly out of the ordinary. It's a uh, thing. But it's, 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 it is a thing. And But but the thing about uh, with Virginia Tech is they have had, I would say, about as bad luck as it uh, as it relates to COVID pauses. Because again, like one thing that's absolutely crazy is they have only played three basketball games since February 7th. Like they, yeah. they went on the pause February 7th, like you said, 16 days. Um, and then they play Georgia Tech and then they play Wake Forest. They absolutely decimate Wake Forest. And then they go on another pause. That was February 27th. And then they didn't yeah. play until the ACC tournament on March on March 11th. So uh, you go, you know, over two weeks, then you play two games and then you take almost two weeks. You're, you go without playing and then you play an ACC tournament game against North Carolina, who's hot. And then they actually played North Carolina really well. So, again, I don't think comparing comparing luck is, 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 is tough, but in terms of COVID pauses, having two breaks like that, that late in the season is about as rough as it can get. And if you are looking for an advantage that the Gators could have in this game, it's like, man, the, the fact that like, you know, March 7th feels like an eternity ago. And uh, I think that was Super Bowl Sunday, actually, now that I think about it. Think about how long ago the Super Bowl was. I don't know if that was – I forget if the Super Bowl was the week before or the weekend. <laughs> but, think, but uh, yeah, since February 7th, they played three basketball games. Like, that's that's pretty crazy. And they did look good when they came back against North Carolina. I thought they played really well, and North Carolina has just been playing, you know, really good. But, uh, yeah, that's just uh, – that's pretty bizarre. You wonder where their wind is at. You wonder where their conditioning's at. Um, yeah, it could play a role. Yeah, no, I mean, Justin Mutz was fantastic against North Carolina, uh, as was Tyrese Radford. Uh, both those guys really lit it up, actually, and kept the, the Hokies in that game uh, pretty much down to the last media timeout. I mean, they certainly had a chance to win and, and came up a little short. Had a lot of trouble getting stops, um, you know, down the stretch. We're going to get to them defensively. I think we still kind of want to focus on you know, their offense, but, but we also want to talk about the season they've had on a preview show. And I think, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head. They've only played, they missed a chance for a lot of quad one wins, Eric, a couple different quad one opportunities by not playing really much basketball in the month of February. Uh, like I said, they, they lost those Florida state opportunities that they would have had, um, you know, one of them at, uh, in Tallahassee, but still another thing that I thought was super interesting is like, you and I have discussed on the podcast how Florida played the least home games in the SEC um, of any school when all is said and done. Virginia Tech played the least road games in America in the Power Six. Uh, they did not travel far away from the friendly confines of, of uh, Blacksburg very often. They played six road games. Uh, they were three and three in those games. They were two and one on neutral floor, including 
their signature win, which was a, uh, a win over a healthy Villanova. Yeah, that's something that I do think is interesting about Virginia Tech, just uh, on the whole, is they are a team that is kind of taking care of business this season. Like, their worst loss was to, was to Pittsburgh on the road. Um, you know, Pittsburgh's not great, but uh, they're a lot higher than uh, uh, than uh, South Carolina is. I mean, that, so their worst, their worst loss is not as bad as Florida's worst loss. And uh, they do have the win, like you mentioned, over Villanova on a neutral um, in overtime. And they also beat um, Virginia. And I do think it's worth noting that the two best teams that they've played this year are Villanova and Virginia, and they beat them both. And, and uh, you know, they, they really dominated Virginia. I, I really don't think Virginia is as good as some people think or the metrics even think, but you know, in the net rating in, in Ken Palm, they're high, but, but yeah, the, the two best opponents they faced were, were Virginia and, and Villanova. They won both of those games. I think that that's worth noting. Also, both of those wins are better than any win that, that, that Florida has in terms of quality of opponents. I think that's worth noting. And then, I mean, the next best opponent they, they faced was, was Georgia tech coming off the COVID pause. They Lost pretty handily to Georgia Tech, but tough scenario. Um, and then, you know, Duke's right in that range too, and they beat Duke. So it's a team that, like, has taken care of, of the best the best teams they faced on a whole. That's that's three of the four best teams they faced. They, they've beaten, and their one loss came off a, you know, 16-day COVID pause. So, uh, uh, yeah, some something notable, I think. Yeah, I was going to go the other direction, uh, and I, I think you make really great points and, and – um, I think that the flip side of that might be that they did lose by 20 in a game that was completely not competitive to a Penn State team that finished with a losing record. And the fascinating thing to me about that game was that they were absolutely just obliterated um, by creative guards um, in Mirion Jones just lit them up. Uh, and Isaiah Brockington, who's a bigger wing who can really score. Uh, so I think, you know, that's, maybe the one like questionable thumper. But then if you look at analytics, uh, Penn state is better than Florida, <laughs> even though uh, their record does not reflect that. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, uh, well, what's the guy's name? Isaiah Brockington. I mean, he had the game of his life. He's someone who's just every time I've ever watched Penn state, which, you know, truthfully isn't uh isn't a ton. Um, yeah. uh, he's been, he's been a, he's been a nobody. And then, yeah, he had a, he had a huge one there. So, so that was pretty good. And, and something that did show too. And I do think this is like another of just like, very interesting thing about Virginia tech where there's just plenty of things that are just like so bizarre about their team, whether it's like, their beautiful offense that's like better than so many people run, or it's like the guy who had a felony charge in the middle of the season. Uh, (laughs) It's a weird, it's a weird team, but one of the most bizarre things about them from a pure basketball standpoint is they often play, you know, Wabas Abide, the the point guard I referenced, and then there's Tyrese Radford. Well, Tyrese Radford shot, uh, he shot one three-pointer a game or he attempted one three-pointer a game. So, a minuscule sample size and he hit 32% of them. And then, and then P-Day, um, uh, he shot 25 or 26, 25% from, uh, from the three point line this season. So like they, they play a significant stretches with, with those two in the backcourt. And that is like, like, I don't actually have the numbers on this, but that has to be the worst shooting backcourt in the country or at least one of them. But I, I think you could very like, I would, I would be shocked if there was, if there was a backcourt that played the minutes that those guys played that are, that that's worse at shooting the basketball. Like it's just it's truly astounding that like that can happen at even in any high major team and in 2021 where it just seems like everyone wants to shoot and everyone can shoot. Uh, they have a backcourt that that doesn't that that can't shoot the ball. And again, that's not their like 
100% go to. There's definitely, uh, uh, and they do have some guys who can shoot, like Nahima. Um, I don't know how to say his last name, Aline. <laughs> Maybe you got a pronunciation yeah. or Hunter. Uh, uh, but uh, they have some guys who can shoot. But there, yeah, there are going to be stretches where it's where it's B Day and Radford in the backcourt, and that is the worst shooting backcourt I can fathom. So uh, that definitely hurt them against Penn State, and it could hurt them against Florida. Yeah, Hunter Couture, another kid, a Florida kid. Mm. Uh, actually, is another guy that can really shoot the rock. Um, doesn't play a ton when he's in the game. He's in the game to to shoot the basketball. Um, and and you know, I, I think was recruited as a as a point guard and isn't really a point guard. Kind of got a little of that. Uh, I don't want to say a little of that Quez Glover in him because it's six two one eighty. It's it's really not that, but he went to Bishop Moore, which is not a tremendous basketball school. It's a decent Orlando basketball school and um, was a very good shooter in high school and has been a very good shooter in college. So uh, he's a guy that will fire away. But I think when you get into weaknesses and I think we'll talk about if they have, you know, kind of an Achilles heel, I think Eric's already referenced it. Uh, we will get into that in a second. I did want to mention that you know, a lot of analysts are picking uh, Virginia Tech to win this game. It seems to be a, a relatively consensus upset selection. I haven't looked at the uh, – I actually haven't looked at an ESPN bracket index yet to see, like, what the national selection rate is. I'm sure that based on all the analysts p- picking Virginia Tech to win, it's um, skewed towards Virginia Tech in a 10-7 upset. And, you know, Mike Young actually got in a little trouble today because some of his local media uh, – and D.C. media covering uh, both Virginia and Virginia Tech asked him about the Ohio State game and the opportunity to play <laughs> Ohio State. And I think Mike Young was trying to be respectful to to the Gators, but he said, we're not playing the Jehovah's Witness All-Stars. And then had- <laughs> I did not yeah. see that. I think I, I said I think this might be the first time in Florida basketball hour oh. history where I broke news to Eric <laughs> So he, no. said, he said, well, we're not, we're not playing the Jehovah's Witness All-Stars. We're playing the Florida Gators. Oh, sorry. But the headline, uh, the headline I just read as I, as I Googled it was Virginia Tech coach Mike Young apologizes for random <laughs> shot at Jehovah's Witnesses. So, of course, <laughs> random of course. shot at Jehovah's Witnesses. Within an hour of his press conference being over, he had apologized to – the Jehovah's Witnesses and Mike White. <laughs> oh. I didn't mean to disrespect anybody. Like I was trying to show respect to our opponent, and it just—it was like the 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 gif of the guy pushing the wheelbarrow up the ramp, and the wheelbarrow flips over. Like, so you know, it's off the court. It's been that kind of year for Virginia Tech. You've got two COVID pauses. You got a dude on felony weapons charges playing. <laughs> But uh, they're rolling on, and, and they are really good on offense. Their one weakness is zone is against zone, and I think Eric and I need to dive into that because the big question I have some some of their problem against zone is how much those guards that can't shoot play. <laughs> um, it is funny, right? <laughs> I just uh, I'm just still dying here, man. I just he's he's got to be careful. Je- Jehovah's Witnesses are historically underseeded in the tournament. Uh, <laughs> People forget some of those guys were a problem back in the 90s. Um, no, this, is, this is the first time a Jehovah's Witness has been a seven seed. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <much>. <laughs> this, is, this is also one of the ones too bad that there's not like 
I mean, I, maybe there'll be some 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 Gator fans in attendance. Um, <laughs> probably not as many as there normally would be, but man, the potential for like some rowdies to be on the road for for that one coming off those comments. Wow, that's that's too funny. But uh, I, I've I've got to say, like when I, when I see that. Um, Oh, getting back on track here. Um, seeing that uh, that they run just such incredible, in- incredible man-to-man offensive stuff. Like, and mm-hmm. I will just continue to reiterate this every time I mention it. Some of the best I've seen all season, and uh, potentially the best I've seen at the college level this season. Um, it it kind of makes sense that the teams would try to zone them, and 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 teams have actually had pretty good success. So yeah. they played against zone on sixteen percent of possessions, which is. Um, a, a good number and um, just as a bit of a reference and in their half court offense they're uh, they're at 0.95 points per possession against man which is very good and then it drops all the way to 0.88 against zone so uh, definitely you've had a lot more success um, they've done they've had a lot more success against man um, and and again I think for Florida like uh, like I said, I mean, I've watched a few hours of their possessions, watched pretty much every half-court offensive possession they've had in the ACC, and, like, there, there is a lot there. Like, it is, like, an encyclopedia of modern basketball schemes. I f- think I tweeted that out, and I truly meant it just because, like, they run so much stuff, and it's so good, all of it. And I just wonder if, if the best thing is uh, – or – if one angle of it would be, hey, let's play a matchup 3-2 like, like Florida has and, and uh, just try to make it that they can't run their stuff exactly as they want to run it. Because, yeah, teams that have played man-to-man defense against them, uh, man, when, the, when they know they're facing man and they could get into running their, their series of plays, it's, it's, it's tough stuff to guard. So it, it wouldn't shock me at all if, if I saw Florida go to that zone and just said, like, hey, let's, uh, you, you see that incredible uh, ball screen to rip series. Let's just, like, make it that they can't run that anymore by playing this, this zone. So uh, I, I, I'm, I think I'm expecting it. I, I, think I'm, I think I've gone from even they might use it to I think I'm expecting it. Yeah, the, like the little fake screen to zoom screen stuff. That, mm. <laughs> like it's, they've got some really pretty – uh, off ball stuff that they do that is just exceptional. I mean, like their offense off cuts, Eric is an absurd, like they're at like 1.2 points per possession off cuts um, per hoop lens, which is pretty silly when you consider that's like about 11 to 12% of their offense. I didn't uh, memorize the, the number and don't have the site open, but I mean, that's, that's a pretty staggering success rate. And, and shows you how good they are off the ball and not just their screening actions, but their cuts, like Eric said, just a really versatile offensive system. And it makes you wonder because Florida has struggled against guys like Radford and Mutz who can get to the rack off straight line drives when you're spaced out. Um, maybe that's a, yet another reason for Florida to, to go away from man, even though, you know, analytically Florida's a relatively good man defense. Yeah, I, I have pointed on the past that I don't really like their zone, um, but I, I don't think that they, uh, I don't think they run it great. Just to be honest, I think they could just get get caught in some pretty bad rotations anytime they play a team that can kind of figure it out. And and I think that Mike Young is likely going to be, you know, because I just have, you know, I've already professed that I think he's such a such a brilliant offensive coach. Um, I, I think he'll be, he'll be ready for it and, and he'll have something drawn up. But like, uh, again, ultimately, if you can have a possession end on in the hands of a 25% three point shooter or a 32%, well, uh, not 
a fake 32% three point shooter because again, like the fact that he's only the fact that Tyrese Radford's only shooting one attempt per game and shooting that poorly from when he's shooting only wide open threes. Uh, yeah, maybe uh, maybe it just doesn't matter how much. Uh, uh, how how open Mike Young can get these guys if they're just not going to hit shots. So um, it, it'll be interesting. The other thing, of course, uh, that's probably notable is that uh, that Virginia Tech has <laughs> done very well against press uh, press defenses this year. Um, mm-hmm. Haven't had any trouble. Their turnover rate um, against press is actually less than their turnover rate against not pressing defenses. Um, that's pretty funny. So. Um, it's not a very like natural game, but, and then again, the other thing that, uh, that also should be noted, um, Virginia tech does, uh, they want to play very, very slow. Um, it's actually crazy. So like, as a reference point, I think we saw Florida play very slow last year. It was like the slowest we've seen Florida play and it was their lowest number of, sh- of shots they've ever taken in transition. They took 11% of their shots in transition. Um, Virginia take Virginia Tech takes 9% of their shots in transition. Or sorry, 9.8%. Um, so just as a reference, um, everyone who watched Florida basketball last year and saw Florida not look to score in transition, um, Virginia Tech looks to score in transition even less than that team. So so they want to play slow. They want to play methodically. So Florida playing their, their press that's like not really designed to get turnovers but just take time off the clock. I think Virginia Tech's going to be more than happy to do that. I don't think they're going to be rattled whatsoever if uh, if Florida wants to use that press. So, uh, so yeah, just uh, just another note about how something Florida likes to run out maybe uh, maybe will work against them. Yeah, I think Florida will use some of their thirteen zone as opposed to a full press, uh, just see if they can slow down Virginia Tech's ability to like get into their stuff, like you said, and then maybe you'll see a lot of that three two. Uh, I would note that Georgia Tech and Josh Pastner used a lot of 13 zone against um, Virginia Tech and were extraordinarily successful in it. Now, Georgia Tech is an interesting team because they play zone about 33% of the time, Eric. Um, So certainly I think a little more than Florida plays zone, but um, they're far better at zone defense than they are at man defense. But for whatever reason, Josh Pastner is like, you know, he he won't give in. He, He won't give in and just play zone. Uh, despite having pieces like Moses Wright that would suggest that maybe that's a decent idea. Um, and that was a game that was a big problem for them. Obviously, Syracuse is a little bit different because the question with Syracuse is always, can they rebound? Uh, they're going to make you shoot over the top of their zone, and Virginia Tech could not do that against them. Uh, so those are kind of the two most notable losses where they face zone defenses. I don't think you're going to see a Florida zone that's that's going to be uh, Syracuse caliber but maybe you can chalk one up or draw one up. That's that's Georgia Tech caliber, especially with a guy like Colin Castleton. Uh, they're down to protect. Uh, well, that and that one three one that's uh, that, that Georgia Tech plays. It's just like such like an amoebus blob. Like it's really not like you know thinking about Scotty Wilbekin running the baseline and Patrick Young being in the middle of Florida's one three one, where they ran it just like picture perfect, like by the book one three one. That's like definitely not how Georgia Tech does like they just like morph out of it have some weird rotations it kind of like flexes out into a two three and then slides back into a one three one and then uh, it's it's a bizarre defense and I get I think that that's like just like the last thing you want to face coming off a 16 day COVID pause where you're not practicing for those right. days um, and then of course and then you've got um, you've got you know Syracuse's two three zone who is a lot more that like disciplined it's not like a novelty junk defense they're they're very disciplined so it is interesting that you mentioned that that there's two teams that play zone in two different ways and 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 both had success so florida would be somewhere in the middle i don't think that they're like full georgia tech 
confusion zone, but they're definitely not like the by the book three two. The fact that they match up in in, in it the way that they kind of do, uh, it does make for some of those kinds of uh, confuse the opponents at times. Um, it also makes that you confuse your defense sometimes. Then you leave a shooter or a cutter, and um, that happens sometimes. But uh, but yeah, again, I just think like if I'm if I'm Mike White watching the same clips that I was watching when I first started looking at uh, at the Mike Young half court offense. Uh, against man, I'm thinking, yeah, I would do whatever I can to not have to guard that stuff. Yeah, I think it's got to be the way that Florida goes. Because, again, I don't trust them to go back to sort of pack line principles and stop straight line drives. And then, you know, I don't know. I, I don't. I know that Florida has had success in their man defense this season. Uh, they've played very good in their man defense at times, in fact. But uh, I just don't necessarily trust them against – what Virginia Tech does best out of their actions, which is get guys like Mutz and Radford headed downhill towards the basket. It's been a problem for the Gators this season uh, and and could potentially be uh, a problem on Friday afternoon. I don't think necessarily – I mean, again, uh, it wasn't the strongest ACC, but like Eric said, they beat they, – you know, it's, it's weird. It's a weird team to have only two quad one wins because they certainly have have kind of, as Eric pointed out, done their job and been, they've been deprived of quality win opportunities sort of uh, as a result of, of COVID pauses to some extent, uh, you know, but I guess it's three quad one wins says I, uh, I missed this Clemson victory that they snagged in December. I always forget that the ACC plays like that random conference game, like early in December uh, for the ACC network purposes. Let's talk about the Hokies on defense, Eric. Um, it's a man defense. It's not a great – I don't think it's a great defensive team from from what uh, at least this defensive coordinator has watched on film. They uh, particularly struggle when teams can uh, rebound and, and get out and run. Yeah, for a team that wants to uh, wants to play slow, it's just like, yeah, another team can kind of accelerate the pace. It's, uh, it's a definite change up from what they're looking to do. And, um, again, I do think that uh, – I think that they're a fairly conservative team defensively, sit in the gaps, protect the paint, and and, and try to allow some some three pointers they can hopefully contest. And and I do think a lot of that has to do with the fact that uh, that I don't think that they have a lot of great individual defenders. Um, one thing we actually didn't even talk about in terms of their very bizarre season was they had a Kansas State transfer named Cartier Giara, who's a, a really good player, starter for a couple of years at, uh, at Kansas State. He transfers to Virginia Tech. Um, mm. He plays four games, and then he decides to uh, decides to bow out. Um, and it was due to COVID. Um, I, I, it was like personal reasons related to COVID. Um, right. That's that's all I know, and um, that's all or that's all that was said. But uh, but he's a very very good defensive player, six foot four, very quick feet, but also physical. I, I think he's a fantastic defender. I mean, he played on those Kansas State teams that have been fantastic defensively. Um, so Cardia Jara, well, he was a he was a fantastic defender and and a player that uh, they were expecting to definitely start probably the whole season. Uh, they don't have him. So anyways, he would have been a great defender, but yeah, past him, I, I don't think they have a lot of great defenders. Um, I think that they don't have a lot of length on the perimeter. Again, that's like with, uh, with these guards that we've been talking about in the past, most of them are like six, two and like 200 and, 205 pounds like they're very like short stocky guards um of course that doesn't always lend itself particularly well to playing defense not a lot of length and and yeah i i do think they are not a great defensive team but um 
uh, yeah, so I think you, you see just a lot of like conservative, conservative man-to-man defense. And uh, I, I would just chalk it up to, yeah, they just don't have uh, great individual defensive players, which, you know, is something we, uh, we can relate to here, uh, you know, covering Florida this season. <laughs> it is. I, I do think Florida is a better defensive team than Virginia Tech is. Um, and that's largely just a product of rim protection and the ability to protect the rim. It really doesn't have uh, – in terms of individual defenders, I think you're right. Obviously, Florida doesn't even play – uh, it's best individual defender. Um, he has more DNPs than than he has games played the last 10 games of the season. So uh, there's that. And, yeah, Cartier Diara was a huge loss for them defensively in all Big 12 defensive selection. Um, if you look at Kempom, he was ninth in the country in steal percentage. Who uh, went on the floor last year, so just super active hands. Would have given them a chance to take some more chances or given them a chance to take more Sure. Uh, words would have given them the opportunity to take more chances. Uh, and, and I think they have to be conservative as a result. Tyrese Radford is a pretty good defender, uh, particularly as a primary defender. It'll be interesting to see if that's how they choose to, to guard up Trey man, uh, Eric. Yeah, I'll be really interested in their matchups. It's also going to be very interesting from a Florida standpoint, because again, if they want to play, you know, Trey man, Tyree Appleby, Noah Locke, well, that kind of got them in trouble in a lot of SEC matchups because that's just so small on the wings. Uh, but mm. they could do that a little bit against uh, against Virginia Tech. And, or, but again, or do you want to go uh, – do you want to go bigger? Do you want to have Scotty Lewis out there at the three more so that you can really attack the glass? I mean, like we mentioned before, they, they, they're not going to push it in transition. So why not attack them hard on the offensive glass? Why not send Scotty Lewis, Anthony Drugy and Con Castles into the glass every time? It's not like they're going to look to push it out. So, so again, there's going to be some very interesting stuff from a lineup standpoint. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, the fact that they, they just don't have a big wing. Um, they, they don't have a guy above six foot four playing, playing on the perimeter and, and those guys aren't, you know, super, super long. They are physical, but not super long. So, uh, so yeah, how they, how they choose to, to guard will be, will be very interesting. There, there's no question. And um, I, again, I think too, where uh, uh, they don't have a ton of, ton of size on the inside, like, you know, Kevin Luma is going to be giving up a couple inches to Colin Castleton. I'm, I'm pretty interested. They, they kind of mix up between whether they, they send hard help or double teams or if they play one-on-one and uh, considering that Castleton hasn't uh, been as involved these last couple of games as, as in recent, uh, recent history, I wonder how much Florida kind of goes to that and, and how much that affects how, uh, how Virginia Tech plays. Yeah. I mean, teams that have had bigs that have the ability or have a little bit more length uh, have had success against them. Obviously we saw um, Marie Dolajaz of Syracuse just eat against them. Um, You know, and I don't know how many times you get to say that about uh, that. How many times this season, obviously Jim Beheim likes it when him and Quincy Garrier go off, but uh, that's exactly how, how they dialed it up. uh, Just pounding it inside. Uh, they are one of the worst post-defensive teams in the Power Six. Um, if you look at, you know, the ability to get the ball in the post, Florida has struggled with entry passes uh, this season, and they will need to be crisp when they post Colin Castleton, and then Colin needs to be decisive and and look to score. And if it's Omar Payne, he needs to be decisive and, and look to score um, because I think Florida certainly will have an advantage if they can make the entry pass and get the ball inside. Yeah, I think that's got to be it. I know we talked about it on the last podcast, just as I was, you know, lamenting some of the turnovers that were at the hands of Con Castleton, but I didn't actually think they were Castleton's fault. Like, I think the plan needs to be like, 
get Castleton in a position where when he catches the ball, he is looking to score and that is it. Like, not that I necessarily mm-hmm. want him to just be like a black hole dribbling the ball, but I mean, if you get him in a position where he catches the ball three feet from the hoop and gets gets an angle on his defender, it should be very clear that he's going up to, to score. And um, I, I think it's kind of a situation where if he's in a position to, if he can get a deep seal, then yeah, look to get him the ball. But if it's going to be 12 feet from the hoop and then he maybe needs to back someone down, that just hasn't been successful for, for the Gators. But uh, it's kind of interesting. I mean, was considering how you know Trey Mann has been really hot the last couple of games, and there hasn't really been anyone with him there with the Gators to to translate that to wins and 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 play at a high level with Trey Mann. I mean, Castleton has been a guy that's that's been a little quieter. I think that some of that is, or I think a lot of that is just the way he's been utilized, not necessarily anything he's doing wrong. But like, if Trey Mann plays like Trey Mann has been playing, and Colin Castleton plays like Colin Castleton was playing earlier, uh, yeah, Florida can go on a run here. So. I, I, I'm pretty interested, and in, and you know, talking about talking about Trey Mann, um, something we do also have to talk about is how Virginia Tech guards pick and rolls. Um, I did think it was pretty interesting because uh, I uh, I started to watch them uh, playing kind of in reverse order. Watch them play North Carolina, and they were they were hedging pick and rolls pretty hard. So I was like, okay, pretty interesting. They're they're a hard hedging team. And then I just kind of randomly jumped to uh, to a game in the middle of the season to watch some of their defense. And I think that they were playing like Notre Dame or something. And they were playing drop coverage and ex- exaggerated drop coverage. And I was like, oh, that's pretty interesting. And then they also went uh, to this like shock and under or hug and under where it's like the, really trying to stay glued to the screener and just like go body to body as close as possible to let the ball handler defender uh, go underneath the screen with as little resistance as possible. So uh, they play a lot of different uh, screen and roll coverages. And I think that that once again, is just like shows me that Mike Young is awesome. Um, the fact that he's <laughs> able to have his teams play multiple pick and roll coverages. Cause that's just something you don't see at the college level very often. Um, you just see teams that kind of ride or die with one pick and roll coverage. Uh, they play multiple, but uh, I've got to say, considering they play multiple, it makes me think they're going to play drop against the Gators. Yeah, I think they will too. And, and another reason they do that is probably Mike Young is the guy, the, the one guy in America, uh, or at least the one guy that, that is at a Virginia Tech game and isn't a TV commentator that doesn't think Wobisa Bede is like an elite defender. Um, Wobisa Bede is in the Scotty Lewis club of of announcers announcing that he is an elite defender, uh, and he is not uh, that at all. Um, if you look at some of his uh, metrics, and and again, I'm I'm going. I know Eric is a is a synergy guy. I've got the hoop lens numbers in front of me just because that's our subscription service. Uh, but it's 0.847 points per possession against him as uh, the primary defender. And um, that number is 0.94 points against in isolations, which is hmm. not good at all. Um, and so, you know, if, if it's Wabisa Bede that's, that they say, go get Trey Mann, and it won't be, by the way. Uh, but, if it, but if Florida can get that matchup, um, I certainly think Trey Mann should attack. But I think that they're going to, do everything they can to clog up the paint against Florida. And if that includes uh, dropping Florida's constant screen and rolls, then, you know, so be it. They really want to protect guys like Kevin Aluma uh, and Justin Mutz, who really aren't particularly strong post defenders. Uh, and when you look at the numbers on hoop lens, you see that only 6% uh, of the, um, that they only face post up entry passes on 6% of possessions. That is by design. <laughs> they are doing everything they can to deny that entry pass. And so when they deny the entry pass, there is space on the floor to run other stuff. And Florida needs to be able to run it, Eric. 
Well, it's pretty interesting because I was I was actually thinking earlier when you were talking about you know you were you were mentioning that Florida probably shouldn't play their kind of pack line sit in the gaps defense, and I was going to point out that you know you play in the ACC, you're going to see multiple teams play pack line, and it just so happens that they beat uh, they beat Virginia, a pack line defensive team. Uh, they also <coughs> did pretty. Uh, Louisville actually beat them, but I thought they played pretty well against Louisville. But again, if just playing in the ACC, you're going to see you're going to see multiple teams that play pack line. So I think that Virginia Tech is just very used to playing pack line, and for that mm-hmm. reason, um, like you mentioned, that might not be the best kind of option for Florida, um, and then. And uh, on that same kind of vein, when you play in the ACC, you're playing against North Carolina, who is just constantly looking for post-ups. You're playing against Duke, who's just constantly looking for post-ups. Uh, that, that's kind of the style of play a little bit in the ACC. So, um, again, styles make fights. They also make NCAA tournament uh, games. And uh, I think that that's one of the uh, the kind of sure tests once you see uh, – once you see teams from different conference playing each other, it's it's kind of a good study to be like, hey, what kind of similar teams or what style of basketball is this team used to playing against? And uh, uh, I, I think that uh, yeah, when they're when they're used to playing some some big boys and trying to deny those entry passes, uh, it's not going to be an adjustment for them to try to take the ball out of the hands of Colin Castleton. Yeah, they had a couple games against um, Miami that were pretty close, and uh, you know I haven't seen. I'm not as far probably into watching Virginia Tech basketball yet as Eric is, and I, I think I'll get there by game day, but not by podcast time. I did get the chance to watch um, their game against Miami that went to overtime right before everybody went on COVID pause down in Coral Gables, and that was kind of an interesting game because Miami uh, really hedged hard and kind of disrupted their ability to get into their offense a little bit, but. Miami was like great at guarding the first ball reversal. And then by like the second or third rotation, Miami's defense kind of crumbled. Um, and that's how Virginia tech got them. And it, it's really interesting. Like, I don't have the numbers on this and I know Eric has synergy and this is one of synergy stats that I love that, that I don't have in front of me, but Florida has been a team that will often defend great for 24 seconds this season. And then, like, the third rotation, they crumble. Uh, and it's something that Mike White's talked about. And that's super dangerous against Virginia Tech because they're so patient. And I bet that they're really good late shot clock. Because I test, that's how they beat Miami in overtime, was, like, late shot clock basket, late shot clock. Just these backbreakers. And in the NCAA tournament, those are just momentum crushers. <laughs> well, I do have Virginia Tech's in front of me. Uh, they're in the 71st percentile nationally in, in late clock offense. So that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, so that your, your eye test has been, uh, has been proven right. Uh, uh, and, and again, it's pretty interesting because normally when you look at teams like that, that uh, when you think about teams that can make plays late clock, normally you're looking at what teams have shot makers. And uh, Virginia Tech doesn't really have that kind of player. Uh, they don't have... Yeah, they don't they don't have those kind of you know big time shot makers, but uh, like you like you mentioned, uh, like you mentioned, they just they're they're so patient and often yeah that uh, that back screen is gonna come on their the the fourth rotation of the ball and 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 they end up getting a layup. So uh, yeah, good observation and and again that's that's just something that's uh, uh, again with just like the pace that Virginia Tech wants to wants to play at. Um, it's also it's also interesting too. I mean, we talked about this last year when Florida played really slow. 
and had some success playing teams that want to play faster is like I, I just feel like it's so much easier to slow down the pace of a game if you're the team that wants to play slow than it is to accelerate the pace of a game if you're the team that wants to play fast. So I do think this is going to be a game that's that's probably dictated uh, dictated by by Virginia Tech. I think it's a game where it's probably a game of uh, of half court execution and. Uh, We'll see how that goes because, of course, Florida's half-court execution last few games has been one-dimensional and not super efficient. Yeah, I mean, look, you're going to get opportunities to score against Virginia Tech, I think, in your first action. I think that Virginia Tech can certainly be scored on in their half-court defense. The only thing that we really haven't dived into is the fact that they're a pretty darn good defensive rebounding team. They're one of three teams in the power six with three guys that averages uh, over six rebounds a game. Um and it's a testament to like one thing I think we've made pretty consistently talked about on this podcast this season uh, is how Florida's defense, Florida's guards need to body up and rebound. And Trey Mann has certainly done that, but others haven't. Tyrus Radford is 6'2", and I think that's a generous height. Uh, and he's a terrific rebounder. Like he gets in there and fights and claws. Uh, Justin Mutz. Uh, reminds me a little bit of, of Justin Smith and uh, the kid from Arkansas and his tenacity on the glass gave Florida a lot of problems in that Arkansas game. So the Gators have to be ready to do that, but they also have to do it maturely and, and, you know, watch their foul discipline, watch their emotion, the, the types of things that have been problematic for them down the stretch of the season. I think it's uh, safe to say that you, it's just you, you don't want to throw away any possessions in an NCAA tournament game, especially one that's uh, <clears throat> like you're playing a two seed against a 15 seed here. I mean, uh, I, like, like I mentioned earlier, like when I heard that if you if, if you would have told me that Florida is playing Virginia Tech, I would have for sure thought it was the eight or nine, the eight, nine game. And I probably would have thought Virginia Tech was the higher seed. I was going to mention that even like what you mm-hmm. mentioned back when you said that um, it looks like Virginia Tech is, is going to be the, the favorite team. I think Florida is only a one point favorite in the, in the betting odds. So, you know, that's pretty close. Who knows what that'll be by the time Friday rolls around. Um, they're also Florida's a one point favorite in Ken Palm. Uh, I haven't looked at the other metrics. I'd have to think it's something similar because uh, that's what the, the, the betting odds are. Uh, but yeah, it's just uh, you're just not going to be able to, to throw away any extra possessions. And um, I, again, I did mention that I thought that Florida should try to attack the glass just because I just don't think that Virginia Tech is going to punish you. But I don't think that's but again, I don't think it's because uh, Florida is going to get like a ton of offensive rebounds. I, I The numbers are just awesome for, for Virginia Tech as uh, as a defensive rebounding team. Um, um, but, uh, but I just, yeah, if they're not going to punish you, I think you've just got to try. And, and again, once again, like, like you mentioned, those perimeter players are, are just not big. So if you're Trey Mann and you have the opportunity to sneak in there for an offensive rebound, um, you're Trey Mann's taller than anyone that they play at the two or three. So Trey Mann's like a small forward out there and can out jump anyone. So, um, you know, he's there or if Scotty Lewis is out there, like, I, I do think those guys need to look to be ag- aggressive. And, and again, it might not be we look at the end of the game and Florida has a bunch of offensive re- rebounds, but uh, they might have a key one. You know, they might have seven offensive rebounds, but they came at really important times. I mean, uh, that's pretty big. And um, I, you, you mentioned it too, just uh, something that I think is interesting about uh, uh, about Virginia Tech that I think that Florida will be very happy to see is that uh, – uh, Virginia Tech has one of the lowest steal rates in the country. They're 307th in, in steals. So uh, not a team that's really looking to turn you over a, a bunch. Um, so I think that for the Gators who turnovers have been a problem, I think that they'll be uh, they'll be happy to know that Virginia Tech is, is not really looking to, to steal those extra possessions. 
Yeah, no, I mean, they don't turn you over that much. Uh, they also don't turn it over that much. Um, certainly, now, I would note that they have uh, in their losses uh, been a little more careless with the basketball, particularly against uh, zone defenses. They've had some issues um, with that. They they had they turned, turned it over in 15% of their possessions against North Carolina, who was able to speed the game up and make them a little bit uncomfortable. They they had a pretty rugged uh, 17% turnover rate in their loss to Syracuse. Uh, so I think, you know, those are a couple just that stick out. Um, what I will say is that other than Villanova and maybe Virginia, they haven't really beaten anybody that's more talented than them. So if you think Florida is more talented, maybe that's a good thing. Uh, or maybe Virginia Tech is due, Eric. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, like yeah, Villa, Villanova, Virginia, like Syracuse. Yeah, where where do you? Th- yeah, like I mean, it's it, I guess it depends exactly what you go for. I mean, I, I would say Syracuse is more talented. I would say Duke is more talented as much as it's you know. Oh yeah, I forgot. Duke time. They um, did beat. Duke. You're right. But uh, uh, yeah, Duke was in that spiral where they lost to uh, to Pittsburgh too at the time, and uh, so yeah. so yeah, I, again, I just think it's it, I, I just see kind of what 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 they do, and they just like they just don't beat themselves like you were alluding to. So right. I think that that allows them to, to take care of the teams that aren't as talented as them. And, um, and again, it's just like, if you're playing a team like Duke, who's just has talent, but sloppy, it's like, well, the team that plays safe and responsible can, uh, can take advantage of that. So uh, yeah, just a, just a fascinating team deal. I, I, I think this is probably like, there's no opponent that Florida could have drawn that would have made for a more interesting podcast than Virginia tech between yeah. um, the various stories, between the way they play basketball, between their roster. Uh, they're just a very, very interesting team. And it just like, like I could not think of a more pure, like, like again, I, I think people should actually be talking about this game a little bit more. I know it's not like the sexiest game nationally, but like in terms of like, style of play matchup Virginia Tech just like being pretty weird in a lot of ways like I really think objectively this is going to be a very very good basketball game and a very interesting one and uh to kick things off first game of the day on Friday um it's going to be a good one the most similar uh Ken Palm profile is Missouri um so you know we all saw that game a couple weeks ago uh in Gainesville um and you know I don't know if they're really similar teams although to some extent the fact that they have a couple guys that are kind of long and can really attack the basket uh, is similar, but they're, they're running a lot better offense than Kwanzo uh, is probably not defending it or, or, and certainly don't have a Jeremiah Tillman. So different types of basketball teams, but analytically uh, the most co- comparable uh, profile. And that's why those two schools are actually right next to each other in Kimpom and pretty close to each other in, Bart Torvik. Ken Palm says Florida wins by one. Bart Torvik says Florida wins by one. Jay Billis, pretty much everybody but Gary Parrish, uh, says that Virginia Tech wins, uh, including Seth Davis, who has been um, just sort of a godsend to Florida in the first round of late, having picked the Gators to lose a billion first-round games in a row, and and Florida would be going for its eighth consecutive first-round victory. Uh, Your thoughts on the keys to a Gator victory? 
Um, I do think the keys just start with like, well, what does Virginia Tech do best? Uh, what they do best is run killer half court offense. So I think the key for Florida, number one above anything else, is what do you do to slow down their offense? So whether that's you want to play man to man defense, but you're aware of um, you're aware of their playbook, you're aware of what they want to run, and the guys are locked in and know what they're looking to do and know how they look to respond when they see them align in this ball screen to rip back screen set um whether it's you do that or whether it's you play three two match up and try to make the game weird i just uh, the number one key to me is what do you do to slow down their their half court offense sounds like a pretty reasonable take to me <laughs> you know i i do think florida's gonna have to diversify things um uh offensively and i think that that the question as we discussed on the sec tournament recap podcast and then the other thing i think florida wants to do is like florida is if if you don't buy that florida's more talented although i think you know objectively looking at recruiting composites even without keontae johnson they are florida is more athletic than this virginia tech team and florida has got to attack the glass and body up on rebounds and if their guards rebound they've got to look to push a little bit and try to get some easy baskets uh, to put pressure on, on the Hokies. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, there's just, there hasn't been many games that Florida's played this year where you just feel like they have the clear athletic advantage uh, just playing in the SEC, which is such an athletic league. It's just, there's not many of those opportunities. So, so I think that uh, any opportunity you, you, you have that, uh, you have that chance. And again, I just think that if you're Florida, like, you just can't be feeling very good about your half court offense going into this game. I, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be uh, super negative or whatever, but like if you've watched Florida basketball these last couple of weeks, you can't be like, Oh, you know what? Like once we get things slowed down, we're going to cook them. Like that just hasn't been the case <laughs> uh, in these, in these last few games. So, so I think that Florida just has to, has to kind of embrace what they're best at. And um, that's going to be looking to score early and let's, you know, maybe, and use that drag ball screen early versus, spacing it out and, and and running a sideball screen that Virginia Tech, I promise you, will have scouted to the very fullest extent of their practices. Um, I, I, I do think that that'll be big. And, and I think that, again, you just if if we're looking, you know, 40 seconds into the game and Trey Mann has one of those, you know, nice scoop layups in transition that he that he does so well and maybe someone like if, if Scotty Lewis is on the floor, if he's able to get a dunk or Colin Castleton beats everyone down the floor and Trey Mann hits him for a hit ahead dunk that we've seen a couple of times, like that'll just be like a sigh of relief and a breath of fresh air that the team really needs. And um, yeah, I'm just with you, Neil. I, I think that uh, trying to score in transition is going to be uh, going to be a key for the team, given how they've, uh, how they've performed in the half court recently. Yep. Got to get out and go, um, you know, and, and maybe, maybe, rely a little bit on the strength of your league too. I mean, I think everybody kind of consistently feels like, uh, or I think everybody consistently feels like the SEC is not one of the better power six leagues. And then they get to the end of the season, the last couple of years and they say, Oh, the SEC is a really good league. And I think that's the case this season. I mean, Eric and I talked about the big 12 challenge uh, where the SEC went five and four and, and, Certainly, they would have gone five and five if Texas and Kentucky <laughs> played. <laughs> uh, so it would have been a draw. But Florida won in Morgantown. Uh, there were that Arkansas Oklahoma State game. I thought was one of the three or four best basketball games I've seen all season. Uh, it's one I went back and watched on a random Monday night 
uh, thanks to the ESPN app. Um, but, uh, you know, Florida, Florida plays in a better league. So maybe being a pretty good team in a better league is, is something that should give the Gators confidence. And you never know. I mean, Virginia Tech might not have seen too many teams of, of Florida's caliber this season. Certainly if you look at their schedule, uh, it points out that they, they haven't necessarily, and they played admirably against North Carolina and fell short. So we'll see. Yeah, the they're not they're not playing Jehovah's uh, Jehovah's Witness All Stars here. I think. Oh, it's All Stars. Char, Char, yeah, Charles Taze Russell isn't walking through that door. Um, so it's uh, I, I do think this is one of the this is a year where uh, again I think like hey when when the ACC's won by Georgia Tech, who's um, you know an eight nine game like that's pretty you know that's that says something about the league. And I do think like there's been years where I think people have pushed back on the ACC when it's always been like the ACC is the best, the best league in the country. Um, You know what? Like most years they really are. I I mean, looking at when, uh, uh, when everyone is even like, not even like at their, their peak, but like sometimes you look and like Syracuse is like ninth best team in that league. And they're not even like that bad. They're just like average Syracuse. I mean, there are years when that league really is awesome. This is just not one of them. And I think that. uh, uh, I think that's actually, again, I, I think that Virginia Tech is a lot better than a lot of their metrics would suggest, and it's because they did play in the ACC this year. Um, yeah. But uh, but again, I just think like uh, this is not like your normal battle-tested, hardened ACC team um, when you're not playing against like, – like the Duke team they played against is, is not playing Duke. Like if – if they were to talk to a Virginia Tech team from 2014 and say like, "Oh, what 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 was it like playing Duke?" I mean, this this year's team doesn't even know. I mean, it, they're, they're, they, they, this is not Duke as we know it. It's um, I would say they were at least got to play a good North Carolina team, but even then, man, that's still a team that uh, was still fighting for seeding then. So uh, I think for 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 the Gators, it's got to be a little bit of like, "Hey, can you show them what the SEC is like in terms of speed and athleticism and and length?" Because yeah, that is uh, none of those are are something that that Virginia Tech has or is particularly accustomed to. Yep, I, I would agree with that. And and if you go to Bartorovic, which at least adjusts efficiency, I didn't go to your boy uh, Evan Maya's site, but <laughs> Virginia Tech does have three wins this season against teams with adjusted profiles on Bartorovic that are better than Florida's, uh, whereas Florida has several wins against teams that that have a better adjusted Bartorovic profile than Virginia Tech. Uh, but the Gators are not playing their best basketball entering the NCAA tournament, and Florida will need to be substantially better than we saw uh, against Tennessee. Then again, um, you know, one thing I don't think we said on either podcast is to step back and say Tennessee, Florida played Tennessee twice uh, in five days, and like exactly how bad are they? Uh, I mean, the game against Missouri was, you know, a knockdown dragout fight against a team that I thought that got posed by the committee worse than anyone else. I just don't understand how you can have the types of wins that Missouri had and be a nine seed. But in, in any event, uh, that's where it's at. Let's, let's talk brackets for a minute. I, you know, I know uh, we, we've reached the hour of Florida basketball hour, but let's, let's just briefly dive into brackets. Let's start in the South where the Gators are. I mean, is there is there an upset in that region that stands out to you? Oh man, uh, I I don't know if I'm <laughs> bold enough to 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 say it, but man, I've just been 
I've been staring at Oral Roberts against Ohio State. I really want to do it. Won't, I won't quite be bold enough, but if there's a 15-2 on – If there's a – oh, well, yeah. And, I mean, it's just if you're looking for a 15-2, that's got to be there. And, uh, um, I, again, I think the other one that, uh, that we were talking about off-air after the last podcast is I think you look at Utah State and I think you look at Texas Tech and um, I think you look at Craig Smith, who's just a fantastic coach. And I think you look at uh, look at Texas Tech's roster and just, like, it's, it's not your normal, like – super awesome defensive team like yeah they're good but uh they're not the kind of team that i think would normally have that kind of tournament success by by playing that kind of defense i think you also look at the fact that texas tech is actually pretty undersized at the the five they've kind Mm -hmm. of got like six seven physical dudes like marcus santos silva but they uh they don't have like a massive player and then you look at nemus kata legit like seven footer for utah state uh there's a matchup there that uh, that i think could be favorable so uh, i'll be looking long and hard at that one should I do one from the south, or should we just you you it, ask me for a region? How do you want? Huh. How do you want? Well, if you've got a good one from the south, um, do it or uh, or move on to uh, move on to the west region. I'll give you next. Okay, I'm gonna pass on the south because I I have nothing. Um, I think actually I think no, I think. <laughs> Sorry, I said too many. I'm actually not giving you the I. Here's here's my take. I think the West is the biggest joke of a region because they took Gonzaga and put them in a seed with where the two seed is a team they've already dominated. The three seed is already a team that they've dominated and the four seeds already a team that they've dominated. So I think the fact that they just put Gonzaga in a bracket with all teams that they've beat is uh, is is. A little bit weak. I mean, I yeah, Gonzaga definitely got favorable, but I I I'll actually give you uh I'll give you the Midwest. What's it? Do you have a do you have an up do you have an upset in the Midwest that you particularly like? All right, let me quickly respond to your West take, <laughs> and I'm just building on it. Like I don't even think you're wrong. The, in addition to all the things you said, the three seed is coming off a COVID pause, and the four seed is coming off a COVID pause. <laughs> I mean, like, could you have handed Mark Few? you know, a path to the, to the final four, that's any better. And, you know, I like the, I'm, I think Gonzaga is like, okay, so this is a hot take. Is it possible that Gonzaga's toughest game on the way to the final four could be a nine seed Missouri if they win just that because, is- just because Missouri's guards like aren't really going to be necessarily rattled in that game. And Drew Smith is so good defensively. And then like Jeremiah Tillman is a matchup problem for Gonzaga. If if it gets like I don't I I don't know if I'll pick Missouri to beat Gonzaga I likely will not but no. um say say I did and it got to the point where Missouri was playing Iowa I would pick Missouri to beat Iowa like with relative comfort so I do think that's the one thing about that that region where I do think that Missouri and Oklahoma I I, I think like I think Missouri would be the best eight or nine seed I think North Carolina might be the next best but then Oklahoma's like right there so like I do think that that eight nine game is by far and away like the best eight nine game that's the only thing that uh, that doesn't break particularly uh particularly well for uh for that bracket with uh with Gonzaga though actually I will say there is actually one upset that's really great as I said there wasn't um, I think UC Santa Barbara over Creighton um, considering that it sounds like some of those players are still not super pumped on their coach right now uh mm. not playing super connected and uc santa barbara has has a bunch of high major players that transferred down um they're mm. super talented that's uh, that's another upset i know it's like the 12-5 that everyone is like always looking at sometimes those are just like overdone because people are looking for 12-5 but like man that one is just like it's it's begging you to take it so like the other thing about that is i mean i'm not 
there's a reason that people fall in love with the 12-5. Like, there's pretty much always one. I remember a couple of tournaments ago there wasn't one in the 12-5, and that was, like, very, very surprising, as I recall. It was like the – I saw some sort of number. I don't know if it was two years ago or the last since he had turned – whatever it was, I definitely saw a number, Eric, that was like, this is the first time since, and it was like a really long time <laughs> that a 12 had won. So uh, I wouldn't say that, that that's uh, – you know, outrageous. So you asked about the Midwest. I think it's pretty obvious. Like my upset is Syracuse over San Diego state. Um, you know, I think that like, so, you know, styles make fights and uh, Syracuse, the, I really think the only question is whether or not uh, Syracuse can, can rebound. Um, you know, I just think that they're, that's actually a pretty good team. It's a, it's an interesting game because Syracuse is more talented objectively than San Diego state. And, you know, their Ken Palm profiles are not particularly different. Um, you know, Syracuse is 22nd in adjusted offensive efficiency, which is going to be a good matchup against San Diego state's defense. Uh, Syracuse has probably played the more difficult schedule. Uh, and then, you know, that funky zone tends to win itself an NCAA tournament game before it is eliminated. Yeah, I, I actually like San Diego State's in that one. I think that they they start four seniors. Uh, they've got one of the best shooters in the. I I actually think that the best shooter in the country is probably Jordan Shackle. Forty seven percent on like over five attempts um, per game. Um, I think, of course, when you're looking at how do you beat the uh, how do you beat a two three zone, you look to see a little bit of can you shoot. Uh, San Diego yeah. State's one of the best shooting teams in the country. Um, they put up a lot of attempts and shoot a really good percentage. Uh, I think they're sixty for a reason, and uh, I, I I just uh, I not not the hugest fan of uh, of Beheim and uh, his antics and way he talks to people in media these days. Um, Me so maybe I'm maybe I'm just cheering. Maybe I'm just like cheering against him um, a little too much. But uh, but I actually really like this matchup for for San Diego State. Um, if there is a team that's equipped to to play uh, to play against Syracuse's zone, um, it, it might be San Diego State. So so I actually do like San Diego State. While it, at, but at the same <laughs> time, I mean I don't see any fault in in any of your reasoning. There's no question. So let's go to the East region, which uh, I have dubbed the region of chaos. Um, and, and I'll explain that first before you deflate all my takes. So <laughs> I think there's a couple potential big time upsets in this region. I love the way Georgetown is playing right now. I, I think Colorado's pretty good, but I think it's just kind of one of these deals where Dante Harris and Jamarco Pickett are on this mission from God. And, uh, you know, so give me another. That's my. That was going to be my twelve-five, and I like it. I like Georgetown to ride that momentum at least in the second round. I also think that uh, you know these plucky. You just have to love plucky underdogs like Michigan State, don't you? Like they sneak into the tournament, and they get to play a blue blood like BYU, <laughs> and um, you know what? Tom Izzo, forever the underdog. Uh, UCLA, another another team that has always been an underdog getting a chance to, to knock off a blue blood like BYU. Okay, I've, I've gotten carried away. <laughs> um, but the winner of the Michigan State-UCLA game is going to beat BYU and go to the second round. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, if if I had to say my hottest take, I think it's LSU beats Michigan in in the round of thirty two. Um, I think that the I think that the way that Michigan um, lacks elite uh, perimeter defenders, especially now that Isaiah Livers is gone, um, I think that they're going to be stuck playing Eli Brooks and Mike Smith, two guys that are like six foot and under in, in the backcourt. And uh, again, they're a team that plays the like no help kind of defense. Like they don't. Uh, like you see so much in college where teams really stack the strong side of the floor. Um, they don't, they really try to not foul. That's a big part of their defense and they really don't try to overhelp. They want to protect the three point line, which is going to be great against a lot of teams, but man, LSU has too many playmakers. They have too many shot makers. I just don't think that, I don't think Michigan has enough players that can guard. Like they don't have enough good defenders to handle all of LSU's shot makers and offensive creators. I think those guys get to the the rim at will. And uh, while I do think Hunter Dickinson's a fantastic player, uh, I think he's, uh, he's probably going to play well. I just still see a lot of matchups I like for LSU. So uh, I think my hottest take is I will, I have not, I actually haven't filled my bracket out yet. I, I am one of those, like, like I'm going to ruminate and marinate on it until Thursday probably, uh, but I'm going to have LSU winning their first game and, and beating Michigan. I, I love that matchup for LSU. All right, so I mean, is there a you giving Wes Miller and UNC Greensboro any chance? Isaiah Miller is pretty good. Oh man, I just I, I really wish I could, but it's just like there's just no team that I feel worse about a mid mid major team matching up with in Florida State. Like just that yeah. g- coming from that athletic deficiency and and size deficiency and toughness i shouldn't say toughness just you know physical size and 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 muscles it's just it's just man that is just such such a tough matchup for for any mid-major team and um you know what like they're they're as good as any and like this could finally be the year where wes miller goes and gets hired by by someone because he's just uh he's in those talks every year and I think deservedly. So um, there's probably a handful of, of other teams that I, in the four or five range that I would have picked them over. I just don't think Florida state's one of them. I, I, I can't do it, Neil. So, and, and let me ask you, this is why I've called it the region of <laughs> the region of chaos. Cause you actually have to ask questions about the 13 and the 14 game. Um, but what about Corey on Mason? One of the most lethal three point shooters in the country. And Colton Cole, everybody's favorite big. Chris Beard said they're the best defensive team we played all season. Uh, <laughs> and he's in Big 12. Can Abilene Christian push Texas? But once again, it's like, this is the region where, like, with, like, no exaggeration, like, before the before I saw the bracket, like, it would have not shocked me. It, like Michigan was a team. Like I actually do really like Michigan as much as I said, I think that LSU is going to be down too. I really like Michigan and um, Texas is a team that I definitely thought was a final four team. It's something that I've even mentioned on this podcast. Alabama is a team. I think I can make a final four and Florida state's a team. Like, like if I literally could, could have seen a world where my final four had the bracket been different was Michigan, Florida state, Texas, and Alabama. Like, I think that those are, four very, very, very capable uh, Final Four teams. Uh, but uh, So for that reason, I, I, I love Texas. But uh, but yeah, Abilene Christian, uh, fantastic defensive team. Uh, it is crazy how much they hound ball handlers and, and uh, yeah. steals. They create so many turnovers. And I do really like the guards of Texas, but they are prone to turning the ball over. So uh, it, it does hate me. To, it, I do hate to say this. It pains me to say this, but uh, I, I do think they have a chance of knocking off Texas. And and uh, it's just one of those one of those times where like I don't think it would take 
an awful performance from Texas, just a somewhat off performance, uh, just a little bit. And uh, Abilene Christian, who one creates a whole lot of turnovers and two shoots the shoots the three really well. That's just a benefit. That that's just a couple. Uh, that's a couple uh, pieces of a recipe for uh, for a big upset in March. There's no question. Uh, okay, so that's pretty good. The only time we disagreed on these like random upset picks was uh, our what was it? Oh, it was San Diego State uh, Syracuse or yeah, San Diego State Syracuse. I think was the only one. So I'm gonna I'm gonna flip it on you and say that I think Michigan gets to the Sweet 16, and the reason they do is because St. Bonaventure beats LSU, hmm. uh, a, a team that plays nothing but upperclassmen. Uh, Mark Schmidt's team plays great defense. Uh, they are really, really good at taking care of the basketball, which is kind of the only way that LSU plays any defense is by forcing turnovers. St. Bonaventure is one of the best offensive rebounding team and one of the best total rebounding teams in the country, which also negates that strength. And um, – you know, I just really, really am a huge fan of Kyle Lofton and Jared Holmes. They're guards. I think that they are just as good as LSU's uh, combination of Javante Smart and Cameron Thomas, or at least almost as Ooh. good as those two guys. And I like the Bonnies, baby. I, I think it's going to be a thriller in Manila, but a strong-ass St. Bonnie's team is going to go to the second round. Wow. Hey, so are you suggesting that one of those players would uh, would have been SEC Player of the Year? Because if you're putting above Cam Thomas, that uh, that's 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 pretty wild to me. But they are great players. Like I love, they, I really like St. Bonaventure like year to year. Like I, I loved that team that uh, that ultimately you know uh, lost to the Gators. Um, mm-hmm. I thought uh, you know a few years back, like I thought that Jalen Adams was just like one of my favorite guards in the country. I just I seem to really like St. Bonaventure teams, and I do really like this team. And I actually think it's going to be a really tough game for LSU. Um, again, me saying that I think LSU is going to beat Michigan. I don't think that that means that they're just going to roll St. Bonaventure. Um, yeah. I, I think it's I think it's going to be a close tight fought game and maybe that's what makes maybe that's what makes uh lsu even more prepared for for my upset pick against michigan but uh i do think it's worth noting that was one of the games that i remember looking at uh, last night where i believe that ken palm and bart torvik and maybe a couple others i believe that uh, despite the fact that lsu is the higher seed i think most metrics have saint bonaventure uh as the favorite um i do think it's also of note i'm pretty sure that saint bonaventure only played like three or four non-league games this year so i do think that they were probably a team that was like skewed the metrics a little bit um mm-hmm. but i do but i do truly think they're they're very good i i do have full full respect for for saint bonaventure yeah i mean they they dominated vcu who's pretty good uh a couple times but lost to st louis um you know who was i think what the first team out or the second were correct i think they were no second team no out. well that yeah, the first team out was Louisville because right. yeah, and, the, and the Kentucky AD was the guy who got to announce it on on television, much to his delight. And that was a Louisville team that I think should have been in the field um, over Wichita State, I will say, because you can't just say, oh, this team got snubbed. You've got to say who they got snubbed for. That goes for any time people talk snub, you got to say so. So, anyways, I'm I'm saying that Louisville should have been in, Wichita State should have been out. Yeah, you're and right. the fact that a salty Kentucky AD got <laughs> to announce that Louisville was the first team out uh, just made made <laughs> made, made uh, you know made the conspiracies have to just you know come up in your brain a little bit. But that's the only reason that I know um, off the top of my head that Louisville was the was the first one out. Yeah, I feel bad for Carly Jones. It's a shame that we don't get to see him in the NCAA tournament. Although we might, somebody could get a COVID case. I don't wish that on anybody. But uh, 
I know they skipped the NIT, as did St. Louis, I think, to, to wait that out and see um, if they get in. No, I don't. And, and to, to answer your kind of tongue in cheek comment, no, I don't think Kyle Lofton or Jaron Holmes will be the SEC player of the year. <laughs> but I think as a, as a backcourt combo, they are certainly capable of, of matching up with them in one game of basketball. Uh, and I also think that while Javante Smart is a strong ass player, he is not uh, as good as, as he is made out to be oftentimes by television analysts, uh, particularly one James Dykes. So uh, how many, let's do this to close number of sec teams on the second weekend. You don't have to say who they are. Just give me a number. Mm. Um, I, like I said, Oh, this is actually bad. I I have not done my bracket yet. So I just am trying to make sure that I can like bring some consistency. (laughs) Um, But, uh, but I'm going to say three, I think off the top of my head, like, I think it's going to be Alabama. I think it's going to be LSU. Um, and then I think it's going to be Tennessee. I actually, uh, Oklahoma State is the four seed. I believe that they they would have to face in uh, in their second game. Like yeah. obviously, I think Cade Cunningham is fantastic. Um, uh, but uh, I, I I do think that Oklahoma State has been a little bit overseeded, a little bit overvalued here. I actually like Tennessee in in that game. Um, and uh, you know what? I probably do think I uh, I probably do think Arkansas though. Uh, I don't. I, I think Arkansas is, is the weakest of the three seeds. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that they make it. Uh, they do make it to the second weekend and uh, promptly lose out. So I will. But so I guess I guess I'll say four. And I yeah, four four in the second weekend. Nice. So I I am going with three, uh, and I haven't decided if it's uh, Florida or Tennessee as the as my third team. Um, but I also you know while I think Arkansas will pummel Colgate, who is a sexy underdog pick among many. Um, you know, I don't like Arkansas against Utah State, and I certainly don't like them against Texas Tech, uh, although I think that would be a very fun game. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know how much I trust a Rick Barnes team in, in after the Ides of March, uh, and I certainly think Avery Anderson and Cade Cunningham are good enough to give them fits. So uh, I, I want that game to happen. Like, I could definitely see Tennessee winning it, Eric. Um but I think it'll be a spectacular basketball game. And Oklahoma State, me, I, I agree with you, a little bit overseeded, but certainly playing very good basketball. Yeah, I think so. And and I will deliver my one um, final take. Um, you know what? I, I know we usually don't do too many picks on this show, so I think I'm going to keep up with that tradition. But I will tell you this. I have the winner of the 7-10 game in the South region um, beating Ohio State and moving on to to the Sweet Sixteen, um, so that is that is my one that my one take I will deliver, and uh, is is that I do I do have the winner of uh, of that seven ten game of Florida and and Virginia Tech. I have them I have them moving on to to the Sweet Sixteen. I think that uh, I think that Ohio State has a has a fairly quick quick run in this NCAA tournament. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think it's a pretty decent matchup for both of the teams, and that's why I've said Florida or Tennessee because. I just haven't quite decided if I think Florida's going to win Friday or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I, I think uh, you have pretty much, it sounds like you have decided that they will not. And that uh, is certainly a take that I think is very reasonable given the way that Florida finished the season. Um, you know, that said, sometimes it's good to have the best player on the floor uh, in, in March, especially when you're playing a team that's, that's gritty and executes well, but doesn't have an electrifying talent. And so 
Uh, Trey Mann will be far and away the best basketball player that steps onto the floor on Friday. A uh, question I think will will be is is that enough for the Gators? And and who knows? Uh, he's going to have to be really good. I'll put it that way. Thanks everybody for listening, and we will be back on Friday night to either wrap up the season or preview uh, a second round game against Oral Roberts. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Thanks everyone.